Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 442. It doesn't get better, you get better. So it's that concept of better that I'm that I'm really link into. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest jenny britton bauer jenny are you feeling unstoppable today I am feeling unstoppable today. <laughs> yes. I like how you added today. So yes, the answer is yes. Okay. I'm happy to hear I can, it. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny has been making ice cream professionally for two decades. The first Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream opened in 2002. Her uh, ahead of the trend vision using whole ingredients and dairy from grass pastured cows coupled with inspired flavors sparked the artisan ice cream movement more than a decade before it would become a top food trend. Jenny is a James Beard award winning author of two cookbooks and has been recognized by Fast Company as one of the most creative people in business. Jenny, obviously I'm just scraping the surface. I can't wait to dive into your story to find out what makes you you. But before we do that, let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Oh, well, one of my, I have, I have favorite quotes that I actually, I really do live by. Um, one of my favorites is it's not how good you are. It's how good you want to be. And along that, that's, uh, that's by Paul Arden, who was a designer and graphic designer. Um, and then along those lines too, is my favorite Joan. I mean, these are quotes that I actually live by. Um, Joan Rivers said, uh, it doesn't get better, you get better. So it's that concept of better that I'm that I'm really link into. Yeah. And listening to you say that it kind of, kind of reminds me of a conversation I just recently had with Joe Delos. And it's like, you're not defined by your past, you're defined by your future. Uh, because of what he's doing with hiring people with alternative resumes and uh, giving people a second chance and giving them a chance to define themselves in the future. That is and that's so interesting I, and it's so true. It's also, you know, you're not defined by one day or one action. Mm. Because this is sort of similar, I would go slightly different, but it's the same. Um, you're not defined by one day or one action or one success or one failure, but but the um, 
uh, but all of them over time, yes. right? So you create your, what I think of as your name, your reputation, or as I like to say, of yes. course, your flavor, by your multiple actions, the com- you know, compounding over time. So not being hyper-focused on one failure, which everyone, we all fail every single day. Yes. So let's not get hung up on that one, but let's try to, over time, create what we believe our name should represent Right. Oh, man. And I'm really tempted to ask you, hey, Jenny, what's your name? <laughs> right. Well, you know what? No, for real. My um, Dr. Anderson was my um, high school at Upper Arlington High School here in Columbus um, literature te- teacher. And he was one of many fantastic teachers. I hated school, by the way. <laughs> hated it. I, was, I even to this day get cold sweats walking into a school. I am... Um, it, it was hard for me. I moved every year. I didn't like it. I wanted to be working. I wanted to do a lot of other mm-hmm. stuff, which I did. But I was sitting in his class the first day of school. Actually, his class was the first day. Junior high uh, – or I'm sorry, my a junior in high school, first year I ever raised my hand in class was his class. But the reason I say it is because Dr. Anderson walked in on the first day of school, my junior year of high school, and instead of saying, hi, my name is Dr. Anderson. I'm your teacher for this year. He said rather violently – Pointing at everyone, you know, different pointing out people in class. What is your name? <laughs> and you know, Keith would say, Keith, no. What is your name? And be like, Jenny, no. What is your name, Dan? No, your name is not your, you know, the words of your name. Your name is everything people know about you, mm. everything people say about you. And then, of course, we read um, uh, the Crucible, which was an, uh, you know, interesting. Um, sort of twist on that and I just like I was on fire I mean oh, that man. was like the he was just the coolest I learned so much in his class Jenny we're off to a good start I'm loving this uh so that's actually a good transition because uh the story your story kind of starts in school you were you were attending uh the Columbus Ohio University correct and you, you ended up not Ohio State oh, sorry Ohio yep. State um and you were an art major and what happened there what was going on around this time well I mean first you have to know because I just told you um, <laughs> I was a terrible student actually I was actually I would consider myself a very good student uh, because I knew how to get exact like I knew how to do the minimal amount of work I'm past and that took a little effort yeah because um so I got straight C's in high school and um, because I wanted to work. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of other stuff going on in my life. I like to do other things. I was working at um, this great French pastry company. And, like, everybody there, including many of the customers, were, like, international students from Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So I was learning a ton, and I was super inspired. The kitchen was from scratch, um, all French-speaking. And that was what I wanted to do. I wasn't that interested in going into class. I mean, there were a few classes that I liked. And other than that, like, that was it. So I did my best to get straight C's, and that way I could just get through it, mm-hmm. um, and I was very good at it. So, of course, Ohio State University was like, no thanks. When I applied to Ohio State, it was like, yeah, yeah I don't think so. <laughs> You're going to need to like prove it a little more yeah. before you can come here. Um, so I wrote him a letter. I mean, I wrote him a letter. I was like, look, you know, here's the thing. Like, this is what I did in high school. I was working. I was inspired. I was doing stuff. Yeah. I was doing a lot of stuff, actually. And also my mom had a baby, so I got to take care of him a lot, and I adored him. Um, I was busy. Yeah. I just wasn't doing typical school busy stuff. Yeah. So I explained all that stuff, and they were like, oh, okay. And then they let me in. Okay. So that was really cool. Um, you know, that that's an example of just, you know, I don't know what it is. Don't take the, you know, no for an answer. And don't yeah. take surface as as finished you know brick walls are sometimes like made out of foam or whatever you just walk up and push them right down keep trying yes keep trying to break through 
Um, so I was so pretty surprised. I mean, I had handwritten the letter too. It wasn't even like formal. Uh, so I did. I ended up at Ohio State, learned how to do homework for the first time. I had never done homework. My mom actually didn't believe in homework. I grew up in a house uh, where we were meant we were supposed to do things after school and not not do two hours of homework. And so my mom was super against it. Literally didn't allow it. So I never got used to doing it when I was a kid. So then I failed everything at Ohio State. My first semester realized I needed to do homework. Actually learned how to do homework, how to do tests there. Ended up doing really well there. Studying art history, (laughs) which is um, like your brain is on a treadmill. Art history is not the study of aesthetics. It's It's not, is this beautiful or is it not? I think a lot of people think that. Art history is the emotional study of history. It's it's history before your eyes. It's history as it actually happened before the artist's it's eyes. It's a study of culture. It's, it's a study, study of, of culture, yeah. the study of emotion, the study of people, the study of reaction to what was happening in front of people. And uh, whereas history is the study of what people said happened, right? So it's really um, – and there's a ton of theory in art history. It's a very – challenging and I man I loved being there I was like in those classes and I would leave the classes out of breath having not left my auditorium seat right (laughs) because my brain was so on fire in there and I was just just like so excited or engaged I would say and just it gave me so much to think about so so yeah I was at Ohio State just just loving every minute of uh, art history and studying fine arts and doing art classes and all of that. So what brought you to the culinary scene? How did you end up on that culinary scene? Well, um, I mean, I worked at the bakery and Mm -hmm. I was really into that. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do as a career. You know, the problem when you study art and art history is that everybody in your life is like, yeah, but what are you going to actually do? You know what I mean? And um, I mean, it turns out that was a great thing for me to study to become an entrepreneur, but people didn't realize that. And maybe even I didn't realize that. Well, artists are entrepreneurs. They absolutely are, especially now. Yeah. But, um, I um, I was um, working at the bakery. I was very into what they were doing. I, you know, the, the owners would bring in raspberries from their own bushes and make raspberry tarts, mm. and I just love that. I would literally like lock myself in the pantry there and like eat the um, the French chocolate that they would get to roll into the uh, the pan au chocolats, and um, I just was having anyway. I was very inspired. So I thought maybe I should become a pastry chef because I like art. I like working with my hands. I like building things. And I was thinking maybe I could take some of these French techniques that they do, all these beautiful – like it's less sweet. It's more flavor-focused than like the American desserts of the time with that like Crisco frosting and blue. And I don't know. Blue was like the color of like frosting in America or whatever. And, like <laughs> whatever. So I was actually painting these. Even in, even in high school, I was painting desserts. My last um, project in high school, I, was, I painted um, American desserts – but the idea was with like French ingredients or whatever, with that French sort of thing. So why did the path of a pastry chef not work out for you? Well, it was too expensive. My okay. family, I didn't come from just anything to speak of in terms of money or, or you know, um, connections or any of that stuff, you know. Um, so, you know, I was really on my own. And going to New York for six months, paying that way, paying for pastry school was just not going to happen. Um and I looked into it, and I tried to make it happen, and there was just no way. So um, so I started just kind of, you know, I kept kept going with what I was doing. But you know what I would do is I would I would go home. I Back then, the, the Food Network, and actually the Food Network was, was had, didn't even, hadn't begun yet. But, but TLC was actually the learning channel. It yep. actually had like really nerdy scientific shows on it and the Discovery Channel. And they were amazing. You could actually learn by watching the stuff on this, on this channel. Um, and so they had um, this show called Great Chefs, Great Cities. And I would – and it was literally like a chef in wherever, Aruba or like um, 
uh, Riyadh or some kind of faraway place, yeah. or of course Paris and and Mallorca and all of that. Um, like a, they would just focus on a chef. They would send one camera person, and the chef would be doing what chefs do with these delicate creating things or whatever. And they would send all this footage back, and this woman who I can still remember her voice would voice over. And now the chef is moving on to the dinner. And now he is, you know, <laughs> da, 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 and whatever. And I would like take notes. Oh, wow. And then I would go like make quails and marmalade or whatever. Yeah. I would go to like the, the Carfagna's, which is like you know, our Italian, you know, kind of it was like a good food grocery at the time and like pick up quails and like, you know, do this. So I was into cooking and I loved that. And I had sort of cre- um, perfected my creme brulee, which was like from <laughs> that show. Um, so I, I was very into food. So at what like point cooking. did you come across ice cream? Well, it's, you know, my first job was an ice cream maker or an ice cream at an ice cream shop. Okay. Um, when I was fifteen, and that goes even further back, I knew that I would work at an ice cream shop. I wasn't even I didn't even like ice cream that much. So when you were fifteen, you knew that you were going to be at an ice cream shop. I did indefinitely, or just like maybe in the well, future. Or you know what? I knew I wanted that to be my first job. I was. I mean, you know, I had worked. I had, like was was an industrial babysitter like i would i was booked every single night from the time i was 12 <laughs> until babysitter. 13 like or until i'm uh, 15 i sent out flyers in my neighborhood and i, I was living in this Always booming neighborhood i moved huh? almost every year so um i was in where i lived in uh when i was 12 was dublin ohio and it was absolutely booming with young families and so i was booked every single night after school anyway um I knew I, I knew I wanted my first job to be an ice cream shop. So I did. I got a job here um, when an ice cream shop opened up in our neighborhood, and it was really great. It was like perfect timing. I was 15. I had to go get a worker's permit. Um, but you know what? I didn't like ice cream at the time. I liked all desserts because I'm Midwestern. So like as a Midwesterner, you have like – I mean I'm from Peoria, Illinois, where okay. we eat cinnamon rolls as dinner rolls before dinner, right? So, um, so I had a, a hierarchy – of desserts and there were probably 30 desserts above ice cream. Okay. I eat ice cream though every <laughs> night before bed. Like it's weird, right? So I'm just like laughing because you're like just like off the hook right now. Just talking about your passion. It's, it's so, so entertaining. Funny. But anyway, uh, so yeah. So I knew ice cream there, but I had sort of forgotten it by the time I met Ohio State. Um, so 1996 is when you open your first ice cream place, mm-hmm. right? What key things led up to that point? What made you take that leap to try that? Well, the, okay, so I'm like studying uh, art, I'm doing pastry, and then I, I'm looking for a career, yes. right? So, so then I'm like, you know, I'm really connected to my sense of smell. I had a friend who worked in the chemistry department, and he was a grad student, and he would bring me these like little vials of um, scent compounds. And I was like, you know, I should go into perfuming. I should be a perfumer. It's perfect because yeah. I, can, I, I can think of scent like um, from a sensory perspective like art and um, do that. So why didn't that work out? Well, because I, I started doing it. I started doing that. I started learning everything I could learn about scent, doing it in, in my spare time and as a hobby, collecting essential oils from all over the world, some yeah. expensive, some inexpensive. And one day I had this idea, based on what I'd learned about for perfuming, that ice cream would be the perfect carrier of scent. Uh, and it turns out it really is. Because as a perfumer, you use oils that are solid at room temperature, okay. but they melt on contact with your skin. Or you drive, like I did, to Kentucky and you get high-proof alcohol. And that works too. But um, but ice cream and butterfat has that unique specific property of melting two degrees below body temperature, but uh-huh. being, I mean, butterfat, which is the butter in milk and cream, is solid at room temperature, but it melts on contact with your skin. Not all fats are like that. Like cocoa butter is the exact opposite. It has a much higher melting point, okay. which is why if you have like a lip balm that has a lot of cocoa butter in it, it won't 
glide across your lips. You know what I mean? You've <laughs> okay. had that before. Anyway, so once I realized that ice cream was all about scent and that I could use ice cream to carry scent, this just bell starts ringing, the lights go up, like okay. the sky opens up, and I know exactly what I've got. That's do. interesting. So your your passion for ice cream stemmed off of your passion for scents and uh, the the perfume industry. I wouldn't have made that connection. I knew you were dabbling in perfumes, but I didn't know they were connected that closely. And they were natural perfumes, so less um, of the synthetic. Okay. Route. I don't have a problem with that at all. I think it's extremely fascinating. But it, what I had access to, and what I was really in love with, were 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 um, oils pressed or distilled, um, or otherwise extracted from plant matter. So okay. rose petals or fresh basil or whatever. So you're 22 around this time. I'm assuming wrapping yeah. up college around that time, and you open your first ice cream stand. What was what was that like opening your first ice cream? Well, stand? I quit. I quit Ohio State. Okay, I, mean, I, I was curious like, about that. I was sitting in art class and I'd been making ice cream for um, maybe a month and I was sitting uh, waiting for the model to come in and in, in a figure drawing class. <laughs> and um, this model walks in and she's the one that's like tall and beautiful but very angular. And I had always had trouble drawing her. And figure drawing classes are like three hours. And so I was sitting there on, um, you know, you, there, you have these things called the drawing horse. You sit on it, kind of straddle it, and then there's your pad of paper in front. And I was just depressed like mm. i was like i can't sit here for three hours i'm thinking about ice cream <laughs> and like i loved drawing like the old round lady with the cast on her leg but i couldn't draw this beautiful perfect you know yeah. more angular woman and so i got up and left and it was portfolio week so i left my portfolio there i left all my art supplies there and i rode my bike home and i never went back wow I, I can high five that, you know, I because I dropped out of college too with the second time around. I never yeah. finished my hospitality and marketing degree because I was thinking I was like, this school is taking away from my ability to to do the podcast. And you know, sometimes you know, I think you just got to jump in. Yeah, you got to trust your gut. And the other thing is, if I had waited to graduate, I would have had so many loans, and I would have the risk would have been so high that I don't know that I would have done it. And so I just kind of feel like if you get an idea taking time i can always go back to school yeah i got two classes left <laughs> yeah you can always go and complete those yeah. but like um an idea is is important especially if you've really got it in you like mm-hmm. that beautiful i love it so so i knew that artisan i actually we weren't using the word artisan really then but i knew that the standard of american ice cream could be raised because i had worked in an ice cream shop I um I was seeing ice cream from a completely different perspective, and I began to take it to chef friends that I knew in Columbus. Oh, that's cool. So I want to dive into uh, this first experience of opening your first business. Uh, hindsight being twenty twenty, how did that look? Reflecting back on that time, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? Uh, what were the big lessons from this experience? Well, I started my first business with a friend. Um, and we called it Scream, and I worked it every day, and um, and she kind of lent the money. Um, I I mean, I would say that I don't know what the ratio of failure to success was at this time, but it might have been like eighty percent failure and twenty percent um, success in terms of um, how we how I sort of did it and the flavors that I made, and so on. it it was. Um, I worked, you know, 10 hours a day, six days a week. I was there every single moment. I made all the ice creams and I, and I served all the customers. We opened in an indoor public market, which is right down the street from where we're sitting, mm-hmm. um, called the North Market. It's mm-hmm. a very old public market here in Columbus. It's actually the oldest market in the Midwest, continually operated. Um, we have like 60 merchants selling everything from cheeses, wines, produce, meats, uh, fish, you know, everything you would expect in that sort of old market setting, but it's kind of a new market, um, too. And, um, so I opened there and I called my company scream. Um, 
And I used to make ice creams and just with ingredients from the market. So I would steep ingredients like herbs from the farmer's market oh, that's or cool. fresh strawberries or, you know, I would learn. I, so during this time for me, it was a very, it was a time of learning. Like I ended up learning um, about wine from the, from the a very knowledgeable wine merchant and cheese from the incredible, you know, um, cheese monger in the market who had been in the cheese business for 30 years and literally knew everyone making cheese in America. That's so cool. Cause for your, your very first business, you're, learning the lesson of collaboration and working with those in your community right next door to draw from those people, uh, to use their resources. And that was almost instinctual for you. Yeah. And to put their name on it, you know, we would make, I would make a a strawberry ice cream with the Hirsch uh, fruit farm strawberries, which we still use. And I would say Hirsch fruit farm strawberry ice cream, you know? Um, and yeah. And What's the so, lesson in there? That that alone is a lesson. Branding mm-hmm. and using your community to brand your items to, to add significance to that item. Not just a flavor, but a story behind the thing. <clears throat> well, and also to get other people talking about it, right? Because yeah. now it's not just us. It's not just me there um, who wanting to promote it, but we've got other people promoting yeah, it Yeah, well. twice the amount of uh, promoting power and, and interest mm-hmm. in that product. So smart. Um, so what did it take to get started? Like, What did you need uh, for physical uh, like overhead to get started? Um, I needed, you know, we're lucky in Columbus because we have the market because, you know, the market, each space at the market comes complete with everything you need oh, really? to make. F- well, the basics, you know, you've got yeah. plumbing, you've got all of the sinks like a, so you can pass up. all of the. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. really is. All you have to do is put a counter in, which is which can be very, very, very simple. I mean, even butcher block tables could work um, and, an, and an ice cream machine. And I needed a, an ice cream cabinet that I could scoop ice cream out of, you nice. know, and a, and a freezer and, you know, oven and, and that kind of stuff so I could make stuff you know to go in the ice creams or so whatever. you said you said you did 20 percent right and 80 percent wrong we kind of covered a few of the things you did right the branding the sourcing from well like, your, i don't know neighbors. that i did any branding right well but you know the the branding of the product at yeah. least telling a story behind a the product about yeah um you, maybe these things just happen naturally uh instinctually for you but i think that they're right actions right you know mm-hmm. things that you did anything else that you think you did right that you can think of before we kind of cover the things that you wish you did differently well, I mean, honestly, I, I would just say that, like, I don't think any of that was right. I think it got better over time. Okay, that's smart. So in yeah. the beginning, it was terrible. I mean, our ice cream was terrible. Um, <laughs> I didn't understand the the. I didn't understand how to make ice cream. I thought I did, and I didn't at all. So, it you know, I would say by the end, the ice cream was actually getting good, and I and I got a and I by then had read all of the textbooks on ice cream and not not recipe books, cookbooks, but textbooks because these are things that are the ice cream is the most studied emulsion on the planet. Ice cream is a frozen emulsion and it's studied in universities, right? Um, So I'd read all of that stuff and so I was getting good at ice cream making, but I really wasn't in the beginning at all. Okay. So uh, how many years did you have this location? Four years. Four years. So from 96 to 2000, if you started getting good, why'd you stop? Well, I stopped for many reasons. I burned out in a massive way. I had just had it. I mean, I, I was working so much um, and it just became difficult for me. We didn't have any resources. We weren't getting uh, what we needed. You know, we weren't um, growing as a company. We weren't growing our customer base. And a lot of those were, were mistakes that we haven't even talked about yet. I mean, I still was thinking of myself as the artist. You know, I came out of art school thinking that this idea of making new ice creams every day and whatever I wanted to was actually a really good idea. Um, and it turns out, and I, it took me a long time to realize this, we closed Scream in 2000. And it was, I was at a, um, so, you know, you would come to Scream and I would have different flavors, right? And whatever you, you know, 
you didn't know what I would have when you yeah. would be there. You just, you know, I guess the idea for me was that you would have this adventure when you got there. Um, but I was at a coffee shop one day, not long after we had closed Scream, and uh, I had saved like, I mean, I had five dollars in my pocket. I had a Vogue magazine. I had a day off, and I was going to spend it at this coffee shop, eating their orange scone and a coffee, and like that was going to be like the whole morning to me. And the orange scone from this coffee shop was amazing. So I waited in line, and I get up to the front, and I ordered the orange scone, and the person behind the counter was like, "Ah, oh, we're out of it." Uh. And didn't give a shit about that. We're out of it. <laughs> and I was like, I just waited in line. I just like dreamt about this last night, three in the morning. I knew this was going to be my day. And you don't care. You don't care that this is the only – do you realize this is the <laughs> only reason I'm here right now? Uh. So I turn around and I walked out and I'm like, oh, my God. And, it, and I remember walking through the door because I realized in that moment that like I had done that to every customer at Scream, that like – Customers would fall in love with something like salty caramel and they would come in and they would uh, fall in love with it and they'd, they'd go home and they'd bring all their friends yes. back to get it and I wouldn't have it. So I'm, I'm so right? happy you're, you're going over this because what I wrote down is uh, for the 80%, I have 80% and next to that, I had maybe the artist approach like you're doing it for yourself with that, which I think is there's some good to that, doing it for yourself because you need that passion. Yep. You need that, that drive you. But at the same time, you need some sense of consistency. You need something that people can depend on because that's how you develop loyalty. Well, right? and I realize that's the reason that I go to any business, yeah. whether it's a gas station or if I'm going to the drugstore to get like a certain shade of lipstick that yeah. I always get or a fancy restaurant, whatever it is, it's the last thing I had there that brings me back. The last experience I had there. I might change my mind once I get there. You might convince yeah. me to get something different. But it was the last thing I had that brings me back. Yeah. And so I call that the craveable reason to return. I mean, you've got to have something that's craveable and that and that is always there that's evergreen that never goes away so that's a big lesson uh to draw from mm -hmm. that experience especially there, since i didn't do it ever yeah. <laughs> at screen so is there another uh lesson uh that uh, something you, you could have done better reflecting back or do you want to move on i mean i you know I, I feel like there are many many lessons i mean i um you know i was i still had pink hair and um wore you know crazy thrifted outfits every day and i mean kind of crazy like i would wear slips as dresses and you know underwear on the outside and stuff i mean you know <laughs> slips but you know it like um so like for me i thought that was kind of i mean that was just me at the time this is punky kid making ice cream or whatever um but when i opened jenny's I was like, I had this different idea. Like, I was like, okay, we're going to have signature flavors. We're going to have two dipping cabinets so that I can have, uh, you know, I can make ice cream inspired by season or whim or whatever. They can fail. They can be, you know, whatever. But we're also going to have um, this stable of of flavors that we that never go away. So salty caramel or pistachio or wild berry lavender um, and various other flavors that were part of that lineup and that we would never run out of. And that these – these whim flavors or whatever, these limited edition flavors, if they were really popular, they could make the jump and, be and become signature flavors. But it would be really hard to take a signature flavor out. I mean, it would have to be very unpopular to okay. take that out. So the idea when I opened Scream 2 was that I, I wanted everybody to see us as professionals. So I put on this costume every day. I, I wore a starched white shirt. I dyed my hair dark. I cut it short. And I took all emphasis off of me and put it on the ice cream. And so... Um, starch, you know, my apron, I starch my shirt every morning before I go to work. And like the idea of getting into character as an, as a shopkeeper, as an ice cream maker and leaving whatever Jenny I thought I was, or even thought I had the right to be somewhere else. So what was wrong with that? 
what was wrong with uh, was there something was that yeah, a, having was, that sort of punky yeah whatever. was that the right you know, move or the wrong move I I think um, for me I just wanted people to take me seriously I was yeah. very young and um, uh, to me it was more important that the focus was on the ice cream and that I wasn't taking focus off of the ice cream yeah um, so and it worked okay. it worked really well um, now all of a sudden the food critic in our city took notice and, and felt like he could have a conversation with me. Okay. Right? So it's not like this punky kid who whatever. It's like somebody who he was seeing more as an equal. And it really did change everything. Okay. Cool. So 2000, you, you close. Uh, you take two years off before opening Jenny's. What was going on during this two-year period? Were you researching? Were you trying to get clarity? Were you writing a vision? Like what was happening during this Well, time? in the beginning, I, I mean, I, I went back and worked at the bakery. I was making croissants from scratch every day. It was like a... Uh, I called it being a dough wrestler. It was one of the hardest <laughs> jobs I've ever had, and it was awesome. Um, so I begged them to let me do that, work in the kitchen, do Pulling this. So I, I wanted to be behind the scenes because too many people in the city knew me as the ice cream maker, and I just didn't want to have to explain it to a lot of people. So I needed a fresh set, and so I got jobs um, off, you know, out of public eye. Uh, I also worked at a library in the in the young adult section, so I was kind of off to a different place, so out of um, food, and then also in the back of the of the kitchen. Um, and for the first few months, I thought, I got to figure out what I'm going to do next. It's not going to be ice cream because I, I really was very burned out of the thought of it. And then it's slowly and also like everywhere I went, people were like, <laughs> buy me drinks. Like, when are you going to be back in business? We need your ice cream. The market was getting tons of calls. Um, and I started to come around after I had that experience at the coffee shop, which was a few months after we closed. I began to write a business plan and I okay. began to really think about it. So what were you doing differently this time around that you didn't do the first time around? Well, in the business plan, I was like, we got to have regular flavors, signature flavors yeah, we, that everybody can that. count yep. on. We got, yep. um, you know, I'm going to be like a super pro. We're going to have, you know, ice cream in pints that you mm-hmm. can take away and all of our flavors will be available in pints. So you can take it home. Um, that was something I didn't do at Scream. Um, and, and, like, we're going to make money this time. Like, we're going to succeed. So I was just, like, at that point, I got laser-focused tunnel vision on this North Star of this business is going to succeed. Um, we're, so in order to do that, we weren't just going to rely on people walking by at the market, but we were going to get ice cream carts we could take outside of the market. We were going to go where people were. So instead of just waiting for people to walk by, I was going to physically get out there. So now it's like the 10-hour day turns into a just all-encompassing life. You know what I mean? Um but also because of that, I was able to bring on people pretty much from the beginning to help me, whereas at Scream, it was pretty much just me. So what did that process look like, taking on people to help you, and how were you selecting people? Well, it was awesome. They were all amazing high school kids. They were like <laughs> the high school kids that were hanging out in the market yeah. who had great parents um, um, or the theater kids from the next door of the theater, and I would just hand pick them. Hey, what's your name? Matthew. Matthew, I see you here every day. You know, you, you come over here after the theater. I think you need to work here. And he'd be like, okay. And I'd be like, Ian, you're hired, like, right now. Uh, get to work. And so he'd come back and do it. And, um, and, and you know, so I had these great high school kids who were uh, – and I brought them in and treated them as equals. And they mm. rose to the occasion and absolutely helped me 100%. Let's dive into that. Lean into that. Uh, treating somebody as equal, helping them rise to the occasion. And what's that process? Like? Well, I felt this way when I got my first job um, that, you know, you – it's this space for young people that's different than everywhere else. You know, your teachers don't really trust you. Your parents absolutely don't trust you. Um, but when you get a job, you're asked to to be a professional, and you get to be whoever you want in that situation. And um, and I I have no I I see that when you give 
when you trust people, they they rise to that occasion. I think that's mm. true for teenagers because I've worked with so many teenagers over um, my life. By the way, that's the millennial generation. They were, you know, I've always, you know, when they were 16 or whatever, you know, and, and growing um, into who they would become. But like, I've always found that to be uh, like when, true. When you put trust in people, they, they always yeah, rise that's up. Huge. And also I believe that that generation is just a really great generation. That's a huge lesson. I think a lot of people in this world who say you can't trust anybody today well, you got to give it's trust. Bullshit. Yeah, you got to give trust before you can expect to get. You know, it's it's a give and take it's thing. Absolutely, a give and take. Yeah. So beautiful. Thank you for going there. And uh, you also mentioned retail. So, what lessons about retail did you have to learn uh, to do that right? I'm still learning. I'm still <laughs> learning lessons on retail. Like we we like this winter, I'm finally getting our retail game in. Okay. But um, but being able to take ice cream home that you could serve it at a party meant that you could you were proud of what we yeah. did. And you were going to tell our story to other people. It's an opportunity to sell more ice cream, which is like a you know like the no brainer. Like you're going to get your yeah, scoop. but even bigger than that, and that's true. Even bigger than that, now we have you know um, Anne Hamilton, who's this incredible national treasure artist who lives here in Columbus. You know, serving our ice cream yeah. at the Whitney to yep. Alice Waters. There you go. Right, because now <laughs> we can like, for you know, we can pack it in pints, and then by yeah, 2004 you're, you're we were shipping all it, over the United States, sending it out. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so uh, 2000s when you open, uh, you're still at North Market at this point. Did you open back at North Market? I did. Okay. I mean, it, you know, again, without the market, uh, I don't know that I've even said this, but here yet. But without that market, I don't think that we would have been able to do what we did. I don't think I would. Jenny's would exist just because of the the overhead that would have you would have to have gotten to do it on the your own. Overhead, but also the yes, support. overhead. But but part of that overhead is how do you get people to walk yeah. in your door mm. when you're That's on a main right. street situation? You've got to get people to walk through your door, and that is so hard, yeah. and it takes so much money. The North Market's also behind uh, Hot Chicken Takeover too. Like what? Not behind, but like a part of what made that happen too. Absolutely, so, the market. You know, the people of the market. Um, I think in part because of our success um, as we started to grow, but they really have taken on that sort of business incubator, which I think modern markets um, can and should do. And that's one of the great things about our market. It's so cool. One thing I noticed when I came to town, we're we're here in Columbus right now. uh, My vision, I have this vision that I don't know where it came from, but I have more of like a dream, a hope that the, the, big box stores of the world are slowly going to go out of business when people realize how much we need to be supporting our local communities and all that infrastructure it's built it's out there and i feel like there's gonna be north markets popping up all over well, they the are country. i mean that's the trend the yeah. whole food hall trend and then people just going in and then outsourcing and uh, renting space out to people who are uh trying to get started and it's it's really powerful. Well, and listen, we did it here in Columbus first. It's one of the few things. I mean, one of the one of the great things. And there are, you know, every city has a few things that you do that are really great. And uh, one of the things I think that Columbus doesn't get a lot of credit for is that sort of market yeah. hall experience. Because now, I mean, we were, you know, I remember in the day when 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 people were like, oh, the Cleveland market's got, you know, is like a real old market and whatever. And it is true. You go there and it's yeah. like old and whatever. And, and it's great. It's really cool. It's not... Ours felt newer and it had sort of younger vibe and like, you know, um, more a little more entrepreneurial. And so even though we were older as a market um, than the Cleveland market, but we had sort of gone that direction. Um, But it created this sort of entrepreneurial spirit in the market, even a spirit of competition that was really great. And then and then the community came out and support. It's a place where you go and gather and eat Mm. and find breakfast and find lunch and take home groceries and produce and whatever. But you get inspired there. And now that market hall concept 
is like the biggest thing yeah. in food. And yeah. we, we really did it here so as hopeful. a market. We were able to sort of pivot as giant box stores were coming in and, and wonderful stores like Whole Foods and things like that. So we were able to pivot. So, okay, maybe you're not going to buy your grocery, every one of your groceries here at the market, but you'll come to the market for the best in mm-hmm. cheese and the best food experience and these really great families making food for yeah. you. And, you know, it's, it's, and it becomes this gathering place that's different and very unique in the world. And now it really is a big trend. So let's talk about uh, how you scaled Jenny's and uh, how you went from one location to two locations, what that was like, uh, the difference between going from one to two from maybe then going to like four to like six and the challenges that you faced with the the new expansion. Um, So start with one to two. Like what were some of the challenges that you had to tackle doing that? Well, first of all, we were making all the ice cream in the market, which meant we had a counter. We had about, you know, 100 or 200 square feet behind the counter. There was an ice cream machine, a, a little stove and an oven and you know, some tables. But it was an open-air market, so there were no walls between where we were making ice cream and where we were serving it and where everybody was serving all of their food. And so the, in order for us to be able to sell ice cream to people who were going to resell the ice cream, so a chef, which we were doing, we needed to get a different license. So you can sell ice cream over the counter, um, make it behind your, your counter, and sell it over the counter, and you, are, you get a license from the health department, the local health department. But if you want to sell ice cream to be scooped by someone else and sold, you have you are now governed by a completely different system, mm-hmm. an absolutely completely different system. We had to be certified by the uh, the state agriculture department as a milk processor. So now we literally have to get certified as a dairy, mm. which is a very different certification. Now you go from a surprise yearly you know um, uh, inspection to monthly inspections and testing and all of this different stuff. So we, the ag department was wonderful to work with and they were, you know, we're, they basically gave us a year. You need to get a different production facility. It needs to have walls. It needs to have all these mm-hmm. things. You have to come up to this. So in order for us to support that, which we knew we had to because in order for our business to make sense, we had to be able to sell it to other people to resell. Um, that we needed, in order to support that new production facility we needed to open another store it was actually terrifying for us we found a great location we fought hard for it and we're grateful that we got it um in grandview which is a great walkable community old community um here in columbus and uh, we found this great storefront so they gave it to us we got it but i was really panicked gave it to you no, not gave it to us. <laughs> it's hard. It's yeah. really hard to prove yourself to a landlord okay. when you don't have a lot of, you know, when we're just, it's just no me in the market. And by the way, it's, you know, it's me, but it's also my brother-in-law who had moved up from Nashville yeah. at this point, who's amazing. And then my husband, who was still doing a, another regular job. Um, the three of us were like partners in the company at, at this point. Um but it's terrifying, you know, and, and, and yeah, and landlords don't just give out their spaces easily. I mean, they want to, they have a lot of options yeah. and, you know, whatever. So they so they did. They let us have the space. I mean, of course, it's expensive and we have to pay rent and all of that stuff. Um, but the first thing I did was – the first thing, like, it was – we wanted to redo the storefront. The storefront had been redone, like, in the 70s and it was hideous. It was, like, stucco and, like, a 1970s door. So we ripped the whole storefront out and kind of went back to a look that was more original to mm-hmm. the – um, age of the building and it was more historic so it had a two door and a little jewel box sort of um, place for a table in right between the doors okay um which was the most expensive thing we did in that space but we felt like it was really important to like tie the community to what we were doing you know we were really serious we wanted to be there for a long time um and uh and that was important for us so that the from the very beginning we were reaching out to the community around us okay 
and, and that was that was huge for us. And how long did it take? From 2002 to when did you open this, this go to this, this new location? It was 2006. 2006, so now, four years. Okay. <laughs> the funny thing is our kitchen was supposed to be ready before okay. this, and it wasn't. Um, there were a lot of landlord challenges with that. Um, with that, I mean, massive. Just we couldn't get it completed. Mm-hmm. And so we were still making ice cream in the North Market to support this store for several months before okay. we got this kitchen finally. So what were you? What were the biggest things you did? The most important things you did in the, that the, that four years of growing your brand, and growing your presence. The, just one big lesson that you can drop on us in the four we years that we between when we opened Jenny's and when we opened over in Grandview, our first outside space. Yeah. Well, um, you know, just just truly putting emphasis on other people um, and mm. making it about people. We we I learned um, as I was reflecting on what I was doing between Scream and Jenny's and also in the early years at Jenny's, I learned how, and I was paying a lot of attention to it, how people interacted with the ice creams and how they were um, viewing that. So I learned that people were not like, they were there for the ice creams, but not really there for the ice creams, right? The ice creams were like a way for them to get to know whoever they were with better, Mm. right? So, you know, somebody would get a spicy chocolate and they would, you know, be so excited about that. But I realized that even in doing so, they were helping somebody else understand a little bit about them. And so once I realized that this this we need we are here to set the stage for two people to get to know each other better. That helped me understand a lot about what we were doing. Man, I love it. And one thing I see a lot where people they have this idea of this really original unique concept and they get excited and they open and they're getting a lot of good notoriety and they the, the, what they start thinking is like we need to we need to grow this like we need we need to grow and when people think of growth they think of like outward growth like lateral growth uh, but i really encourage people to stop and think about growing inward first and taking that energy you would put out to growing outward and put it into growing your people and growing your relationships because that's going to be the glue that holds you together when things get rough. And you've had a few times where things got rough, but I feel like it was your reputation that pulled you out of it. We won't, I don't want to get there yet. It will come up, but grow in inward growth will lead naturally to outward growth. Don't get too ahead well, of that's, yourself. I mean, no con- company um, has the right to exist without culture. You yes. are, you are no company only, has the right to exist without culture. I mean, I, I actually say we, I don't like the word business. I like the word company, like calling ourselves a yeah. business. We call ourselves a company because the, com- the word company is wonderful. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy like I have company coming. It means you're not alone, right? Um, so it, the, from, by nature, you are united by your shared uh, values and passion. Mm. And those, have to, those are the glue that bind you together. Those are the reason that you have good people who want to work for you. Those are the reason you have good people who want to come and have ice cream or who, whatever you make. Um, but it, it, it's the feeling people get from you. Yes, you can put it on paper and say, these are our values, but you have to actually do them. And that becomes, brand is a feeling. It's mm-hmm. not really like, a, you know, you, you can write all the books you want. You can read all the books you want about it. But in the end, it's how somebody feels when they're in your I space and in your community, in your world, whether they yes. work for you, grow strawberries for you, or or eating the strawberries. I love it. Thank you for driving into that. Uh, so you move into this lo- new location. It's 2006. Uh, you are now able to distribute your ice cream to retails and to other ice cream stores. I'm assuming you're like putting them, are other people scooping your ice cream at this point? Very, yeah, but very minimally. It was a couple of great chefs yeah. we have in the city. Uh, we were selling across, you know, we were shipping now because we were on the Food Network yeah. in like, two. I don't remember when it was, 2004, I think. And so we opened up our website. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. In 2004 or five. Uh, I called Florence Fabricant at the New York Times 
who writes like about all the new stuff that happens in New York City. But, you know, I read the New York Times all the time, especially the food section. And yeah. I was, so I called her and I was like, and I got her on the phone. And I was like, you know, I'm doing this amazing ice cream in Ohio. And you probably want to, you know, of course, I was like, you probably want to write about it because it's like amazing. And um, she stopped me and she was like, can you get it in New York City? And I was like, no. Not yet. And she was like, well, why don't you call me when I can? And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Now I get it. You're, yeah. You write for the New York Times. Yeah. It's not, okay, got it. Um, you know, because I sort of, uh, get, you know, I guess see the New York Times is like this America, <laughs> you know, like, but um, but it, it helped me understand. And then we were on the Food Network that we needed to have a website. We need, you need to be able to order ice cream from it. We need to be able to ship it across the United States. Mm. And so my brother-in-law, Tom, jumped into that in a big way. But that was... Um, that's a whole other beast. In That's itself. a whole other yeah, beast too. So then we're that. growing this online business as well, and it's really picking up because so, almost immediately it's L.A. and New York City. I wanted to ask about the mail order. And so San this Francisco, is when the, the mail order started coming into play. Yeah. Um, before we dive into the mail order, uh, you were quoted as saying something uh, where somebody offered to give you fifteen thousand dollars, and they said, "But I'm going to encourage you not to take it." Why did they encourage you not to take that fifteen hundred dollars and what or fifteen thousand dollars? When in the timeline was that? That was before we started the company. So I was oh, writing the business plan. Okay. This is in the early two thousand one. Sorry, I thought. Uh, no, but it's <laughs> okay it because this expansion. is. A, I mean, it's important because yeah. um, it was a, a family that I was nannying for, and I absolutely loved them. Uh, still do. Still are, are friends with them. And um, they knew that, I, like everybody in my life, knew that I, at that point that I wanted to get back in ice cream, that I'd had this other life as an ice cream maker, and that I was trying to figure that out. And, um, you know, they were like the richest people I knew. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was like, you know, they were like, write a business plan and present it to us. And then they were going to move back to Toronto. So I had some urgency there. And um, I was trying to get this ice cream machine. And I couldn't afford it. It was $1,200. And, and, and to make a long story short, Charlie ended up buying me this ice cream machine so that I could make ice cream for them. Charlie's my husband now, but he wasn't then. And that was when I knew that, like, Charlie like, and I were going to be kind of, like, long-term, you know? Yeah. Um, so I made them ice cream. I presented all that stuff to them. And, and Jay uh, was like, we'll give you the money. And I think it was actually, like, the, the full $35,000. Yeah. We'll give you the money, but don't take it. Don't take it. Because if you give that much away right now, you won't have anything to, you know. Yeah. We're going to own, like, your company. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to give that away right now mm-hmm. do everything you can to get the money from the sba or the bank mm-hmm. and if you need it we'll be here or we'll be in toronto it, but we'll right? be here for you or to earn it and to build those relationships yes. and to take time and to, to to focus on that inward growth that discipline exactly. the, the relationships all that stuff so i doubled down and we went back to the bank yeah. we, we ended up getting it of course but yeah. it took about a year longer and but it was, it was your back. money and then charlie and i decided to go into business together that was when yeah. we decided to do it together so i was making ice cream out of my house um and selling it out the door yeah um and Charlie was seeing these people come in and buying the ice cream from, you know, just knocking on our door. And, um, and then he was like, okay, so let's, he got involved. He started, let's go to the bank together. Maybe if we go together, we'll, we'll be more likely to get this. And so okay. that was when, that was how we ended up starting Jenny's again. So you had the second location or sorry, the, the, your new one location. Fast forward to 2006. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you, instead of grow, thinking about growing and, um, uh, going to other brick and mortars, you decide to grow a logistical, like, uh, distri- distributing process or distributing uh, retail uh, into restaurants. And that's well, what was going on. We, we were mail really, order, I'm sorry. Yeah, mail order. We were doing a limited amount of um, restaurants and mm-hmm. then Dean and DeLuca called. Okay. That was the big, that was the big turning point. We're like, whoa. So Dean and De- we started working with Dean and DeLuca. I can't remember. It was like 2007, like pretty quick okay. after we opened that first store. That was our first 
like grocery retail sh- store that we worked with where we were we were selling pints to them and then they would resell them. Okay. So at this point, what are your channels of revenue? You have the the retail, the storefront, and the in the retail and the meal order. We also had an events business, so we were doing okay. weddings and um, you know, I mean, we were like anywhere we could play, we were we were playing. So, so we were like, yeah, you, uh, you weddings, yes, we'll have a you know, we have a, a cart, and we were so Tom and I would be out, you know, we worked the shops, one of the shops, we'd be making the ice cream, work the shops, and then we would go do like a a graduation. Okay. So at this point, were you uh, thinking about opening other locations or were you trying to get, were you opening, doing as much from this one location to get money coming in from different channels of revenue so you can then self-invest and grow organically slowly? Was that the Absolutely. plan? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. We wanted to, I mean, we were just, you know, at the time though, I think it was still, we were still really survival. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. wanted to pay our bills. Mm-hmm. There was no guarantee. I had failed before, so I, there was no guarantee that any of this was going to work. We had... You know, we opened uh, our Grandview location and it was like a line down the block, mm. but we didn't, no, we didn't know that was going to happen until yeah. it happened. Um, and then you don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah. And so we really wanted to make it last. You know, we really wanted to build a, a, a company that was going to be around for a long time. And there was no, there was nothing in, in what we were doing that was any guarantee that that was going to work at the time. I'm going to say that now, you know, we, we're, we're still fighting like that now, but you know, we were really just doing everything we could to get in front of people to get our ice cream out there. So Which means we were also making a lot of ice cream. So was the next channel of revenue the the second location or was there something else you did to grow? So um so the Grandview store was was very successful. It was wonderful and um it wasn't quite enough to pay for all of the the kitchen that we mm-hmm. had to build and all of that. And then we get this opportunity in the short north just down the street from us here in this sort of in our arts district here in Columbus. Um and it was, you know, these spaces are not easy to find. They're like a thousand square feet, um, and and a space that we can kind of turn into an ice cream shop without with minimal expense. And so it had been an art gallery, and it had a basement, which means we could put plumbing in, and it was like perfect for us. So it kind of showed up to us, which okay. was amazing. And it's um, you create your own opportunities, and it's though. on a corner, and <laughs> well, and you know, it's true because now. The landlords are like, okay, you're doing great over there. Now they're coming to us. And I can't remember if they came to us or we went to them, but at least we had that. So in 2007, we opened our little shop in the the short north. Okay, so that's yours. Oh, and also I had a baby the same month. Oh, wow. Okay. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) But yeah, no, you know, you just work and you do it and you don't think about it and there you go. We're at uh, 50 minutes of recording time. It goes really fast, doesn't it? I know it does. Um, So what big lessons? uh, I don't want to ask the questions because I I want you to go to where you want to go, what knowledge you feel like you can impart on my listeners. So if you can just think of like a couple things we didn't discuss that you would want to discuss to make me and my listeners better, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I see so much right now where young people and oh, and I mean and everyone, but I mean I work a lot with young people and talk to young people in school or whatever, and everybody kind of wants this like overnight success. And it was that way when I was younger too. It wasn't that different, but it is different now in a way because we we structure businesses as like as like presentations to VC funding. You know, like you think of yourself as an entrepreneur if you've got your first round of funding and not and and I think of street level entrepreneurship as being like the most awesome adventure ever and like really fun but you know street level entrepreneurship means you start something small on a shoestring and you build over time i mean i spent 10 years working at the market making ice cream learning what ingredients to use how ice cream worked learning the molecular science of ice cream which is actually like if you really want to make great ice cream, 
that's what you have to do mm. to make the flavors taste good because nobody does that. Nobody makes ice cream from scratch in America. They all use a base and then flavor it. And there's limitations with that method. And I didn't want to do that. So I learned all of that. I learned how customers, um, what, what customers um, are there for. I learned how people respond to flavor by making lots of different flavors and being the one in person on the ground to Witnessing serve it to people it, yeah. and then listen to mm. what they said. Over those 10 years, I became a Jedi of ice cream, mm-hmm. right? You can't do that without putting in that amount of time. And so that would be, I guess, my if you learn a lesson from my story, it is just do it. Just start. You don't have to be the best at it in the beginning. You know, you don't have to have a lot of money is actually your easiest resource to get. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, build slowly. Start as soon as you get an idea mm-hmm. that you believe in and just go. And remember that that street level entrepreneurship is like the coolest thing. It's like this. It is the true American dream. Anyone can do it. You don't have to be educated. You certainly don't need a business degree and you shouldn't even get one because, you know, that's very important to your business. It will be later. You'll you'll bring on people who have all that knowledge, who've gone to school. But but what you need to do as a as a as an entrepreneur is get really freaking good at what you do and what you want to do. And in my case, and I think it's true of anyone who is a real trailblazer, you can't learn it anywhere else. You learn it by doing, asking questions, churning it back in, and literally cutting your own path. Mm-hmm. Now, what will happen is if you if you're a success, which you will be if you don't give up. And, and not giving up doesn't mean you don't compromise. You still compromise constantly. Uh, you create this path that other people then start going on, mm. right? And then it's like, oh, Jenny's really su- successful over there with ice cream. She got to line out the door doing these unique ice creams. Got a book with a James Stewart Award. I'm gonna do that yep. too. I'm gonna quit my you know attorney job or whatever. I'm gonna start making ice cream. And 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 you see the people coming up behind you, and you're like, that's that's cool, you know. And <laughs> like it's cool. the trail that you cut out of the forest. But I'm but the reason that I say that is because I think that anyone with the right passion and and hustle and and work you know i think anyone can get work ethic get that sort of passion if you're really into what you do and if you don't try to force yourself into something you know somebody else wants you to do so if you've got this idea and it's and it's something you think other people will pay for then start a business and then just go i've got two questions for you they're going to be quick questions i'm gonna ask them both now so you can have them and you can answer them quickly the first question is what determined your growth from that point on because you're up to 32 locations now and the second question is what does your life look like now have you transitioned out of working in the business to working on the business that's very interesting um first of all the the most you know there were there are a lot of um you know, important moments for me. I think when we got up to four stores, we knew for sure. I, I think I, I actually knew this earlier because Tom and Charlie and I would work together and we had no, none of our talents overlapped, but we were still missing. That's a good thing though. It's a good thing. And that's, a, that, no, it's a, it's an imperative thing. Yeah. You have to have that mm-hmm. because if you have talents that overlap, then one of you is disposable. Mm-hmm. One of you is not going to be doing that job next year, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be unique and bring something to that business, which we all did. But the one thing we were missing, really, really deeply missing was that sort of uh, business leadership. You know what I mean? Like like operational management, um, you know, all of that stuff. We didn't even know what we didn't know about that stuff. Mm. Like we could get the shit done. We could, you know, help customers. We could build a great service training program, make great ice cream. We could move the ice cream around. Half of entrepreneurship is like lugging shit around. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We could do yeah. all of that. Um, but we didn't really know how to 
scale, how to make a great job, how to do HR, you know, how to, you know, finance. Um, so we knew we needed a CEO. And um, and then by the time we got to four stores, we were really we were really in a place where we're like it was urgent. Mm-hmm. We needed a business brain. Mm-hmm. And um, we knew just the right guy, but we didn't think he'd be the one to take the job because he had this great career at GE and he was yeah. like in GE Aviation rising and like amazing. And Charlie and I used to go drinking with John in the early days before we even started the company. Um, and we were buddies. He was like our attorney friend, but like really in a, you know, I don't know, rising star career. So we started talking to him like, look, John, we knew John. We knew him. We knew he wanted to be a, um, deeply connected to his community. He was an attorney, but, you know, I loved having conversations with him, uh, you know, over lots of wine and beers about how he really needed to be connected to the community. And now at this point, this is like 2008. He's a dad. He's a great dad. We just knew that we wanted somebody exactly like John to become our CEO and that we had these values that like maybe the rest of the world of CEOs wouldn't get or at least the ones we could get to come join us. And um, we needed to him to help us find that person. Anyway, he, long story short, says just hold up. He came up to talk to us. He ended up taking that job. Wow. Quitting the other life that <sighs> he had built and taking that job. And his first, of course, um, task was to figure out how to make his salary. Yeah, There's a big <laughs> lesson there, just to put it out. Just because you think somebody might not be interested or don't let your doubts ruin your opportunities never so get it out there put it out there you might be surprised so it sounds like what what was what determined your ability to scale was getting everybody on your bus and in the right seat so you could do it right yeah and you know if you you could have a whole other podcast with john love because john would would tell you hey you know i the first thing i did was get everybody into lanes you want to make it happen yeah (laughs) totally please (laughs) because you know the the great example is we're all sitting at the kitchen we have this picnic table out in front of the kitchen in this little office that we had and i say kitchen me our production um facility and we're all sitting around there and john Lowe's first day and um literally my cell phone rings charlie's and and tom's there's a problem with the plumbing in our Grandview store. By the way, there's always a problem with plumbing somewhere in your company yeah. and freezers. Um, so all three of us get on the phone, call our own plumber to like come fix the problem. And John's just like, okay, this is obviously wrong. Um, <laughs> there's a protocol. We have <laughs> all of the top people in this company, yeah. the big, the top talent in the company fixing one small problem. Mm-hmm. So it was awesome. So like, so then it was just like, okay, you stay over here. You stay over here. And he, you know, first, the first year was probably corralling us Mm -hmm. and forcing us to focus on what we did best. Which is going to bring me to the next point, which I asked, like, what is, how do you transition out from working in the business to on the business? And it sounds like you have everybody in their lanes. And now I'm making the assumption, I'm assuming you're uh, the, the face of the brand and the creative uh, that's where you that's where you shine right the creative side and being the, the brand is that what you yeah, do yeah and and when we say being the brand for me it's just i've lived it for so long that i can explain sharing it to the best. values too and yeah. like, it's a internally first yeah and externally second beautiful so i that's you know i've just i've lived it i know ice cream more than anybody else probably on the planet yep. i mean there might be 10 more people in the globe on the globe who might know as much or more than i do um so i'm I'm working with our teams to get the ice cream done and mm-hmm. to create flavor and all of that. Um, I, we, art is still very important to us, so we've always done it in-house. Mm-hmm. So I lead up that team, and I have an awesome team 
Um, Mikey's then, brother-in-law. Mikey yes, Saboro's brother-in-law. He's yeah. sitting right here. <laughs> He's an amazing guy, Patrick, um, just out there. So um, we do all the copywriting still. I mean, I just just as you walked in, I was working on the, the, the this new culture manual that we have. And it's Beautiful. not really a manual. It's more of a – I think the things you learn in, in, by working in ice cream are things you can take with you for the rest of your life. They're like philosophies on life. So I'm writing that thing. But I still do all the writing and all that stuff. Um, to me, it's not that different from what I was doing in the beginning. It's organizing. It's bringing people together. It's making ice creams. It's explaining it to me, to people. Communication, if you don't have good communication skills when you start as an entrepreneur, you will get them by the, at some point. <laughs> You'll because be forced. ultimately, being able to communicate what you do is the most important thing you can do. So usually I wrap up every episode with a speed round where it cl- close to the end of our time, it's 1126. Can you squeeze it in? Oh, I'm totally game. All right, yeah. cool. Although I will tell you that I am a very <laughs> slow thinker okay so speed rounds are sometimes funny we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors we'll be right back all right guys it's time to get real and answer this question honestly does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants if the answer is no you need to do something about it because 89 percent of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant so you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business and this is where bento box comes in not only will bento box help you deliver your brand and your story online but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, Eleven Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to getbento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like a foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Jenny, is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Oh my God, my it factor. Um, you know what? Uh, my strength finders, do you've done strength finders? It's no. amazing. So strength finders, is, it's amazing. It's, you, you figure out what your strengths are so you can focus on the things that you're good at, not the things you're bad at. And my number one is, fu- is, called, is futuristic. Ooh. And so I live in the future. 
I, I I'm right always <laughs> in the future. Yep. I love it. People tell me to be um, in the moment, and I'm yeah. like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Gary Vaynerchuk I, I calls it. I always think about getting better. I think that Gary Vaynerchuk calls it being in the clouds versus being in the dirt. And uh, Simon Sinek calls it being a why guy versus being a how guy or a why yeah, gal. Okay. And you're, I mean, I just, you know, yeah. I live in the future. Yeah, always you know? dreaming, right? Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, what's your biggest weakness? Um, second guessing. I mean, I just, every single every single thing that you ever see that I've ever done, I, 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 I second guessed it at one point. What's one question or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Um, question you ask or thing you look for, sorry. Well, the thing we look for, we say it's three things, talent, hustle, and guts. Beautiful. What is your biggest challenge today? Time. How are you managing that? I don't. <laughs> I just do everything. and try, You know what? I do manage it because I get sleep. I go to bed at about 8.30 or 9. I try to read a little bit. But sleep is my most important thing because I feel like if I get enough sleep, then I can manage my time better mm, in the day. Yeah. I, I'm more efficient with how Absolutely. I use my brain. I get eight hours. I don't even use an alarm I clock do anymore. Too. I don't, I don't either. Yeah. I never do. I don't even I need an alarm clock if I have to wake time. up at 4 yeah. to get on an airplane. I don't. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, you if you if you get eight hours, your body knows you can go to yep. bed at nine o'clock and be up at whatever that eight hours is later. Yeah, I don't know, like, like five. five. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> nine to five. I never so. up at five. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is like a core value, a belief, a way to be. Well, um, I always say I believe that we can pay you to show up on time, scoop the right uh, you know amount. Um, mop, you know, make sure you don't skip the corners when you're mopping and all of those technical, tactical things. But we don't pay people for the art of service. Service is a gift and so is art. I think that you give the world freely and as a gift, it's expected to come back in some way and that gift or in that, the way that it comes back is to you personally. So the more you sort of, and that's like kindness and Mm -hmm. joy and real connection that you make with people. When you give that to people and you give that to the world freely, it comes back to you. And I am an example of that because I started with, you know, I I say nobody starts from nothing. You know, I had sort of my brain, my brawn and my buddies is Mm -hmm. what I always say. But you know, you just go after it and you just give to the world these gifts of kindness and, and love and support and joy and it comes back to you. People yeah. want to be around you. They want to help you, you know. Stop trying to get ahead. Try to mm-hmm. give ahead. And the more yeah. you give, the, the more that the opportunities will just open and you can yep. choose your path. It's so powerful. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service? So something that's uncommon to the industry but very common within your, your restaurants. Well, we um, – I, I think ice of – Ice cream um, stands, I should say. You know, when, you, when, when young people come in to our – world to work i'm i like to say like don't you are not taking you're not a servant right you are in a position of power you're a tour guide here right the customer's experience is on you um we are less customers always right we are more you are in charge of that experience Mm. right so you're a professional you are leading the customer you know, with these sort of things. So the idea that service is a place of power, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that great service changes communities, raises standards, you know, and actually is a, one of the most pleasurable things you can yeah. do. Lead the experience, right? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's that you have standards, you have very high standards and the golden rule applies. You, you, you treat people as you want to be treated, but that all goes back to what are your standards for that, mm. right? So you have to have very high standards and we have to keep building those and then treating people 
the way that we want to be treated. That's so a it's great like way to look at internal it. Internal golden rule in order to be external. Yeah, right? and I, listening to you talk, I couldn't help but think that I. I feel like a lot of people in the service position are very reactive, reacting to the guests and what their their needs are. But mm-hmm. if you take a proactive approach where you're leading the experience and like you're anticipating needs and you're darn good you're, at it. Yeah, you know what like I mean? that's so and powerful. And you're uniquely you at it. Everybody's yeah. going to have a different slightly different way of doing the same thing. We're going to get we're going to still explain what this ice cream what's in this ice cream and all this stuff, but we're going to do it from a slightly different way yeah. because you're so good at what you do. Yeah, and it's really cool when you're actually in the guest experience and you're with a great server or a great person behind the counter mm-hmm. and you you're witnessing them leading the experience and like you, you And it isn't forced and it's and you, not robotic. Yeah, but you know what and, they're doing and you're like, "Wow, this person's just on point." Like they just it's it's a, There it's, are a lot of ways you of teaching it. that. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Absolutely. Okay. What is one book that is a must read that will make us a better person or a restaurant operator? One. Um, well, Paul Arden, it's not, it started with my quote in the beginning. It's not how good you are. It's how good you want to be is actually a book. And I think that that would be a great book for an entrepreneur to read. Thank you. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't read a ton a f- of business books. This isn't a business book, but I think it's a fantastic book. The other one is um, Choosing Civility by PM Forney. I think that's a, a fantastic Both book. Both first-time recommendations Good. on the show. So I'm pumped about that. I'm going to have to dive into those myself. Uh, share an online resource or tool. Like Even like the New York Times is, a, is an example. I'm sure you probably don't get the magazine. For, I mean, if, I, if I'm going to say an online resource or tool for an entrepreneur, I mean, the SBA was a very helpful one for me. And they um, SBA's business plan writing um, template was was the one that I used. And I thought it was, it was great. I think it's still kind of like the go-to. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, yeah, you know, all the newspapers. I mean, you got to keep up. Yeah, absolutely. What's one piece of technology you've recently adopted in your restaurant to, uh, to improve communication, uh, efficiencies, profitability uh, that you're leveraging? That's <laughs> all of them. Yeah. I mean, I think of what we do is like, um, it's like what, the, we, what we're doing is like the values of the sort of artisanal world, you know, um, community and quality and craftsmanship with the, the, all of the tools of now, technology and, and, and communication and logistics and how we could connect it. So any, all of them, I mean, we've got our website, we've got ways of engaging people, all of social media, every single platform over there. I mean, just building community through technology. I mean, it's a wonderful. What about something physical in the restaurant that somebody, a restaurateur listening to this could use that tool to solve a problem, to be more effective or efficient? Does one come to mind? Um, I mean, definitely. I don't know. I mean, when it comes to technology and like our, our, you know, loyalty program or, or, you know, we don't have a loyalty program yet, but we have this great, um, system i guess you know this uh, i don't know it's a cash register but it's like everything right okay. so you can track a lot of stuff um that know? um there are you know of course how we communicate with our team you know we had a, a closed facebook page for a long time and we're moving into a new system of communicating what's that um i don't remember what the system is called is it wise tale by a chance no huh? okay. um but but it was as simple for us i mean we're only now changing it as as a oh, as a closed Facebook page, awesome. but communication is so important. And, and the other thing I'm doing, I'll tell you something else. It's like low tech, is I'm about to start this year doing month, monthly conference calls Ooh. with everyone on our team, anyone who wants to join, but everyone who works in stores, because I find that if I can freestyle about a flavor, you know, versus like writing something and having them read it or doing a video that feels a little stuffy, just being able to be like like freestyling. Um, about how much I love something that we just created or whatever cool. so that they can then take it and turn, turn it around in their own way to a customer. So can you give me something specific that I can link to in the show notes for our, our listeners to 
like a the platform you're using to leverage, leverage this communication. Maybe I should wait until I talk to your I CEO. I mean, right now it's it's literally Facebook. It's moving okay. into a new thing, and I don't even know that we've completely decided on what that is. Yeah, uh, that is a huge. I think people don't use Facebook Facebook enough. They're multi unit operators because, like we said earlier, behind every great restaurant is a great person or great people. And if you want to, uh, you gotta you know like you gotta like transform the people that come on your team to bring them up to your values to your beliefs. And it's really hard to do that when you have like a hundred people on your team. Like, how do you touch? Well, each and one the first of those thing people? you have to do is inspire them because you yeah. can't transform anyone without without getting their heart and um, and really living your values. Yeah. You have to show that every but day. But you can use present. Facebook and video to like be present and to share yep. your thoughts with all these people and to touch these people. It doesn't have to be high tech. I mean, it can be very low yep. tech and just use the technology that are available now. I mean, you could use Instagram in the same way. You know what I mean? All right. I'm going to start Facebook to communicate with team. Okay. So this is the last question. It's a big one. You ready for it? Okay. If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three pieces of truths. I call them things, you know, to be true. What would those three things be? Well, I mean, I think that, that love is first. I mean, loving people is the first thing coming from a place of love. Um, uh, I mean, I, I'm an action person. I think, you know, Dive in and do it. Act and recover, as Churchill said. Dive in and just, just you know, get get a basic idea of what you want to do, and then try it. Um, and then reflect. So, um, and then maybe a third thing. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I think it. For you know, I, for me, it just goes back to community, and it's it's again the love. It's a you know, it's again love, but it's like caring for people, nurturing people, lifting people up. Um, you know, and family, you know, I mean, I have two little, little children too. And so I'd have to like say that like, like building your world, you know, and I actually think of entrepreneurship as building your own world mm. in a way, but, um, you build your world with your values and ours is, you know, that, and you know, I love it. Jenny, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, it was an honor making an example of you. I wrap up every conversation by having you call somebody out. So I'm actually going to be going to Cincinnati and in, in Nashville after that. So you know those markets. Uh, who should I be trying to connect with in Cincinnati or Nashville? Let me think here. Um, in Nashville, Lisa Donovan is amazing. She's just wonderful. She's um, she's moving in. She, she, she's a pastry chef, but I think she's moving into the writing world right now. Um, gosh, there's the um, Five Daughters Bakery people who like just have such a great brand. Um, I'm thinking about people in the restaurant space in Nashville. I mean, I mean, Chef Tandy at um, City House is amazing. Say those real quick one more time for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tandy at uh, at City House. Lisa Three, Donovan. Five sisters. Uh, the Five Daughters Bakery. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks know if we want to follow you on Instagram. I know you're really active on Instagram. Maybe we want to come join your team. What's the best way to connect? Yeah, Jenny Brittenbauer on Instagram. It's J-E-N-I. And then um, and then I'm just Jenny at Jenny's.com. You can go to Jenny's.com and find all that too and um, connect through that way. Also, you can get some pretty great ice cream there. Jenny Brittenbauer, again, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, to share your knowledge, uh, to allow me to make an example of who you are and what your values are. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. All right. <laughs> 
There is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Man, Jenny crushed it. What an awesome conversation. Such amazing advice in today's uh, talk. And I think what really stood out to me is this idea of just, uh, you know, a street MBA, starting where you can, not taking no for an answer, and just slowly scaling with time, and not necessarily scaling outward, but scaling inward, learning, developing, getting better. And if you just focus on growing inward and being the best you can and giving as much as you can, over time, the opportunities will come to you. You will attract onto yourself the people and the resources you need to be unstoppable. So I loved today's conversation. And I also think that there was this really, uh, it was quick, but there was some incredible advice in the, the speed around on uh, like the standard of service, right? And teaching your people that you control the situation. And if you empower them, if you give them, give them the knowledge and uh, help them read people and uh, don't just send them out there, but really educate your people and, and let them know that they control the customer experience. You can really take it to the next level. I thought that I thought that was really great too. Uh, all right, guys. Like always, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook. And uh, really help me take this thing to the next level. My mission with this podcast is to inspire and empower aspiring restaurant owners and we do that by capturing the stories and advice of those proven to be successful the more i record the more i listen to people the more clarity i get in what i want this podcast to be and it's about sharing knowledge it's about empowering people that wouldn't necessarily have access to the mentors in the world if we're going to bring back the middle class we're going to create a world where everybody can self-actualize we need to make this knowledge available uh readily available and that's kind of what i want to do so uh in order for that to happen we need to share it so please help me spread the word about restaurant unstoppable one thing you can do Right now, if you're listening to this podcast on your phone, take a screen capture of whatever uh, playing app that you have, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or Google Play or Spotify. Screen capture the image, uh, share it on Instagram, and tag me, Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E, and tag at least five other people you know that could benefit from this podcast and uh just make sure you tag me too so i can thank you and all right guys that's all for today thank you so much for sticking around this long i love you all and i couldn't do it without you until next time peace out